so we're continuing this week again in, um, in Revelation, in John's Revelation um, of John at the end of his life and looking back and looking forward to, to say what is, what, what is there to look forward to? What is coming? Um, what is God, where is God taking us in this journey that we're on? Basically, what does is, what is our home look like? A lot of revelation, even though it feels kind of strange and different to us, really is kind of telling us what's coming. What is it within us that we're longing for, that we are looking for, that we know is not yet complete? John is saying, if we look ahead, and here's what it looks like. Um, it looks kind of different <laughs> than what we can even imagine, right, in this place where we are now. Um, it looks than things look here on earth. Because in the final consummation, when God is fully revealed to us and we are with him in his presence, we are fully then at home. We're fully then made to feel at rest and that we might have peace as well. And these are things that we're searching for, right? In our, in our current um, state, when, in, where we are now, is this place of like looking for a place of peace, looking for a place of rest. And so um, John is pointing to this, this day that's coming when we will fully be in the presence of God and what we will know is that sense of peace, that sense of rest that he, he brings to us. And so even though some of these images that, that John um, puts before us may not feel familiar to us, what it's doing is giving us a glimpse of home of what it looks to fully be in the presence of God, what it looks to be before his throne with the angels surrounding us, with the multitude around us, to sense what, um, to see God and to know God in fullness. So this is where the story is headed. But to, but to know how the story's gonna end, we have to go back and see how it began, right? Um, and the thing with Revelation is that we can't read it in isolation. We have to read it um, as part of God's overall story. And so we know that his story starts in the garden, right, where humans live in unfettered communion with God, where they have um, full access to God and to his presence. But because of sin, and we don't get very far into the story, right, only chapters one and two um, are things okay um, and, and things look good. By the time we get to chapter three, then everything falls apart, Sin enters our world, enters our reality. And because of that, humanity is, has to leave the garden. We have to go out of the presence of God and the gate is closed behind us. And we're now separated from God, alienated from God. And not just from God, but also from one another. Um, it, it causes a rift in, in, our, in a separation in our relationship with God and within each other. And so as Genesis continues, what we see are things that continue to deteriorate um, to the point where we have just one person, Noah, who, is, um, on, you know, who God saves through the flood. And then by the time we get to Genesis 11, we see the Tower of Babel, where humans are trying to make a name for themselves, basically saying, we're gonna make our name great. And because of this, because of their, um, their sin, God decides to scatter them and to confuse their language. And so now we're at a, like a low point, right, for humanity, that not only are they uh, separated from God, but they're separated even more so from each other, that they don't even share language, they can't be together, they're scattered across the earth. And so it's utter alienation indeed. 
However, we don't have to go very far. We just flip the page to chapter 12 to see how God is gonna fix it, right? How God is gonna bring about redemption, how he's going to make relationship with him and with each other right again. And so he calls a man named Abram. And he says to Abram, I will make your name great. Do you hear the difference? Chapter 11, they're saying at the Tower of Babel, let us make our name great. When we get to chapter 12, God calls on Abram and says to Abram, I will make your name great. And I'm gonna make of you a great nation. And through you, the nations of the world will be, of the earth will be blessed. And so God, through this person, Abram, is creating a people, the people of Israel. And it's through the people of Israel that God is gonna show how to make the, um, how to bring about the redemption of his relationship with them and their relationship with each other. And by doing this, he's, God is revealing himself to, to, the, to all nations to say, this is what it looks like to be in relationship with me and to be at peace with each other. And so basically, what God is doing through the people of Israel is providing a way for all of us to come back home. Providing for all of us a way to come back into communion with him. Because it's through Israel and through their um, relationship with him that God brings about um, the person of Jesus, right? So like all of the story of Israel is leading up to Jesus coming on the scene, which is God himself coming in flesh and saying, I'm gonna make this right. This is not about you making your name great. This is not about you um, finding your way back home. I'm gonna come and dwell among you and show you the way back home. And so we see Jesus come and through his life and his death and his resurrection, that alienation between God and between humans is taken upon God himself and God restores us into relationship with him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Revelation becomes the culmination of this story, right? So God's redemption is not fully um, realized yet. We're living already in the not yet. Jesus has come and he's provided um, the redemption for us to, to be able to join back in relationship with God. And yet we know that things are not as they should be yet. Like we get a glimpse of it, but we haven't found the final culmination of God's plan yet. And so Revelation is looking toward that to tell us what home looks like. So when we get to Revelation 7, we see a couple of realities of what our home looks like. The first thing that we see, starting in, chapter, in verse 9, is we see the opposite of Babel. We see the church. Not people scattered and language confused, but instead we see a multitude from every nation and every tribe, every people and every language standing before the throne. What's interesting here is that the differences don't go away. There's still different people, there's still different languages that are being spoken, so the difference is there, and yet they're all crying out together with one voice and speaking together what they know to be true of God, which is that salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And so even though they, they stand um, they're in difference, in their difference, they also stand in unity because salvation belongs to God alone. And so even if they have, we have different stories to tell, and we can even say that in, the, in this room, we each have different stories to tell, we come from different contexts, but our story is also at the same time the same. Salvation comes from God through Jesus, and it's the word of our testimony as we journey along. 
So this is the church in all of its diversity and beauty, singing the song of its testimony and pointing to the truth about who God is. Is that when I think about like our Christian journey or my own Christian journey, it's easy for me to think about it like it's just me and God, right? Like we're on this path together and we're, and we're you know, headed um, on this journey, just the two of us kind of alone. But that's such a small way of thinking about our journey. All of us are on the path together. We're all headed home. Like the image I think about is of Israel leaving Egypt as they're headed to the promised land in the book of Exodus. And like this throng of people that are coming out of Egypt um, and headed home. And that's what it's like for us too. We're not alone on this journey. We're together. Um, We're able to walk together toward home because we share a story, because we all know Jesus. We know the truth of who he is and how he has provided a way for us to be in communion with God. So what would it look like if I really thought about that reality Um, and the reality that in our eventual home, there will be a lot of people um, who look different than me, who have different stories than me, and yet we're all joined together by the same song. And what does it look like for us to start living into that reality now to kind of broaden our um, imagination for for the journey that we're on to say, it's not just about me and God, but it's about the community that's around me and about those who aren't in our community yet um, that show us things about God that we may not even see or recognize. Um, And when I was in seminary, our our anthropology professor would talk about how the different cultures of the world show, reveal something different about God because we all have a different lens, right? A different worldview that we look through. And so we can't, in our worldview, we can't totally understand or see God um, just within our context. We need other contexts, we need other cultures, other ways of looking at the world to, uh, to truly understand who God is and, and, and how he is revealing himself to us. And so we want those voices, those other voices um, of people that are in, in different paths, different contexts from us, to be speaking to us to, to, so we can hear from them um, and, and have a fuller picture of, of who God is. And that's kind of what ha- is happening here in Revelation 7 is these different cultures coming together to praise God because they, they know God in certain ways and, and it's in the fullness um, of being together that we see who God truly is. The second thing we see in this passage is we see the angels and the heavenly beings. And so not only is humanity no longer alienated from each other, but heaven and earth have now come together as well around the throne and all are experiencing the presence of God, and all are praising God. So it's just, as, just as there's no longer a separation between humans, there's also no longer a separation between humans and, and, and angels or the heavenly beings, but all have found their place around the throne. All have found their home. So the angels are singing of who God is, and they tell us of his different attributes, and they sing to him about blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. They too are witnessing to who they know God to be, who how they have experienced God um, in their own context, right? And now it's all coming together um, with humanity. And then lastly, but most importantly, we see God in this passage. Not one who is passively sitting on the throne, but a God who is active. So let's look at verses 15 through 17 again to see what God is up to. Starting verse 15, for this reason they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. 
They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So let's sit with this for a minute and see what God is doing. So if we imagine, instead of this God who is sitting, you know, I mean, he is sitting on his throne. That is, that is true. But he's not passively sitting on his throne. God is enthroned and yet he is also active at the same time. And I don't know about you, but to me, that's a real encouragement to my heart. Because during this time that we've been in, like this last year or so of pandemic, when things have been confusing and dark, to know that God is active, to know that God is working, is helpful. It's good to know. It's good to be reminded of because sometimes it's really hard to see where he is and what's happening. I was in a conversation with my neighbor recently, and um, who, she's not um, a believer, but she asked me in the midst of it, she said, where's God in the midst of the pandemic? Which I thought was a really great question. Um, and so we had a good conversation about the kingdom of God that looks different than the kingdom of this world. And when things seem dark here, it's not dark to God, but that he is active and he is working, even if we're not exactly sure how. So let's see how in, um, here in chapter seven of Revelation, how God is working, how he is active. It says, the one who is seated on the, th- on the throne will shelter them. The, the word here is literally put a tent over them. It's kind of imagery back from the tabernacle um, of God's presence being among the people and God inhabiting uh, this, the Holy Land with them. And so there's a sense of um, shelter for them. Is there places in your life where you're looking for shelter from the Lord? that you would want to him to come and to experience a sense of, of protection, a sense of shelter. God says that he, or the, the scripture says that the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. It also says that they will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sense of sustenance, the sense of um, daily needs being taken care of, sense of provision. There's no, no thirst and no hunger There's not a sense of having to make it work for yourself, right? Of having to toil with the land to to come up with um, ways of eating and drinking. But instead, um, that is provided for through the action of God, that God is, is, um, is active and making sure that people have what they need. Are there places for you that you would um, ask for the Lord's sustenance, that you would ask for God's provision, that you would trust him to provide for the daily needs that you have. And then lastly, it says, the lamb is at the center of the throne and will be their shepherd. He will guide them to the springs of the water of life. Isn't that interesting, that imagery of the lamb becoming the shepherd? Not the one who's being led, but the one who is leading. And so we see this God who is actively leading his people besides the streams of living water, leading them toward life, leading them toward home, saying, follow me, I know the way. I know the way home. It conjures up the image of us to, for us of, of Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We see that imagery again here with Jesus being the lamb who has become the shepherd. And so I wonder for you, today, if there's a way that you need Jesus to be the shepherd, the good shepherd for you, to lead the way, and also to provide comfort, as it tells us here that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, that God knows 
the tears that we shed. He knows the pain that we feel. He knows the difficulty that we experience. He knows that this world has fallen. It's not a surprise to God. And so he actively comes from his throne and wipes away the tears from our eyes. Not as a way of um, just like saying, oh, it's fine, you know, don't worry about it, but as a way of acknowledging, a way of seeing our pain and a way of showing us a way forward. So God is active. He's not passive. He's working in our midst. And may we ask him to see how he's working. And so as we come, Lord willing, out of this time of of pandemic, we pray that that would be the case, that God would be um, bringing us kind of to a new season. I wonder if there are a few things that we need to pay attention to. Like we talked about, while the world stopped, God did not. God hasn't stopped working. He's been active, not passive, in bringing about his vision, his story of healing and restoration. That the idea that God is more concerned about where our stories and his story is headed than even we are. Like having an imagination for that. And so I wonder if we might ask him what he's been up to during this last season, this season of pandemic. I'm just really curious, like for myself, like God, how have you been moving? How have you been healing? How have you been feeding? How have you been comforting us and others during this time? Can you give us eyes to see, ears to hear where you're working, how you're working? And then secondly, I think um, another thing to pay attention to in, in this new season, hopefully, that we're coming into is what the church is meant to look like. Um, who are we meant to be? It's hard to imagine that we'll come out of this time and be the same. I seriously hope not, right? Like we hope that God has been pruning us and shaping us into more and more into his image. And so might we ask God what he wants his church to look like coming out of this pandemic, coming into this new season? And that being like the little C church, like our local expressions of church and the big C church, right? The, the, the global church. How, um, what is it that God wants to do in us and through us? How might he want to mold us and shape us? Who are the other voices that we need to hear from um, in other parts of the world and who have other stories than we have? Um, even within our own community, people who are different than us that have things that they can, t- can teach us and show us about how God is working. And how do we start living into that, this Revelation 7-9 reality now? Because the reality is that, this, that Revelation 7 is not just a pipe dream or wishful thinking, but in, in reality, it's where this whole thing is headed. It's where it's the vision of God. It's what God has for us. It's the consummation of his plan and what it really looks like. It's what home looks like to us. And I pray that the Lord will help us to live into it now as Easter people, as those who are shaped by the coming reality now, as those who know the end of the story and are longing for our home. So may it be so, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.